0: Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others, aspiring to be them, can follow in their footsteps.
1: Okay, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. Today, we've got an interesting guest here from the state of Mississippi, Trey Hairston with the firm uh, Butler Snow. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excellent. Um, So just to kick things off here, uh, I've had about three or four cups of coffee. How do you get started in the morning?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I do like a good cup of coffee. Um, And one of my favorite cups happens to be a client's coffee, uh, a Mississippian, and it's called J5 Cafe. Nice. This coffee, I couldn't go with him on this trip. I, I, I got left out, unfortunately. I'll go the next time, but he traveled to Tanzania, Africa, uh, East Africa, and selected the perfect bean for his coffee, which is in uh, 100% Arabic, um, Tanzanian bean. And it's a medium to full roast. I like it black. And it's phenomenal. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, so okay, so East, so around um,
1: Kenya? I mean, where, where is that exactly?
0: I think that is East Africa. I I'd yeah. have to pull out the the map to look but um i'm pretty sure it's it's on the the east the east coast okay interesting yeah yeah, yeah. very good yeah. And so and some of the proceeds from the coffee sales go to hbcus for scholarships and other low and disadvantaged income students so that that's pretty awesome for him to do something like that oh excellent
1: what, what is there there's an hbcu in uh, jacks mississippi
0: there are two, actually. There's there. Jackson State University, okay. which is my parents' alma mater. Okay. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of great things happening for Jackson State, particularly in football, with Coach Prime uh, right now. And then my alma mater is Tougaloo College, a very small liberal arts college. But we, although small, we're proud and mighty. Mighty, mighty. I was going to say that. Yeah, no, actually, I, I do know the school. I think I mentioned it before we got on.
1: I used to... Um, actually sell a software a solution into higher ed. So I became familiar with a lot of the schools across the country. so I, I know both of those universities. and uh, it's good good stuff. Um, so
0: uh, tell us about what kind of work you do in practice. So I'm a public finance and economic development lawyer and the majority of the time i'm I'm on the public side of a transaction so, I'm serving as bond counsel to a governmental issuer. Okay? And what that means is generally I'm giving a bond counsel opinion. I'm I'm opining to generally the tax exempt status of the bonds, so there is a certain amount of diligence and analysis that has to be done to ensure that the bonds are actually tax exempt and I draft all of the documents in connection with, you know, beginning a a public transaction like that to the to the end of the transaction and actually closing. And so funds are flowing from an investment bank or maybe even a, you know, an institutional investor, some other type of financial institution from that you know, particular entity to the public entity and they're financing, it could be infrastructure, it could be water or sewer, it could be an airport, it could be a stadium, a museum, or some some type of economic development project, mixed use hotel, et cetera, et cetera. So it just depends on what's being financed um, as to what you're actually doing in the transaction. On the state of Mississippi? No, not necessarily. Our firm, the public finance shop has approximately fifty lawyers. We're in twenty. We have twenty-nine offices. Uh, fairly large public finance practices in Colorado, Louisiana, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, and so wherever those offices are, n- not necessarily licensed in those offices, but I'll help out from time to time and. You know, if I'm working with an underwriter serving as disclosure counsel or underwriters counsel, that's one of those things that's sort of 50 state practice where you're serving a multi-state bank and, you know, you're really not opining on state law. You're giving an opinion as to federal securities law. So that gets into those oh, I know, traded transactions, publicly offered transactions. So your client is the, uh, the financial institution. It In and, and that type of transaction, in that role, then yes, we would be working on behalf of the investment bank, ensuring that everything in the transaction happened correctly um, based on securities law. So from a disclosure standpoint, um, is the offering document doing what it's supposed to do? And so that's, That particularly uh, pertains to publicly traded transactions. And so that's a private, I'd be on the private side of a public deal. Now, I also work for developers when they have transactions and they're needing money. Maybe if there's a conflict, or maybe this is an institutional developer client, they're deciding to do a hotel and a mixed use type thing in a downtown area. In that case, maybe it's you know, serving as developers counsel for tax credits, historic new markets, um, various types of incentives or public money that's coming into the project. And I'm on that side of the table at that standpoint. Generally, I'm on the public side, but I I find myself on the private side of a transaction too. What do you like better? You know, I, I think I like the public side a lot better. You know, from the standpoint of communities that truly need whatever they're trying to finance. Mm. If it's, you know, to me, an elected official in a small town, and maybe even big ones as well, New York City or, you know, Jackson or some of the smaller communities that I may represent, a mayor or an elected official really needs to do maybe four or five things pave the roads, keep people safe cut the grass, pick up the trash. <laughs> if you do those four things, everything else will generally come into place and work very fluidly. And sure, you know, companies will begin to come and call on the, the particular city and, you know, locate there. So that's that's a lot of it. Now, some of the transactions get really sophisticated when you're doing something you're financing like a hotel conference center, downtown development, but at the heart of it, cities, municipal government issuers have tax exempt status. Right. Uh, you and I, we do not. So right. when we go to the bank and borrow money, it's taxable, but cities have that privilege under federal law. And as a result, they borrow money to do projects and there's a process for it. And so that's that's I enjoy it that that's really fun, particularly when you're doing something innovative and you see that change happen in the community. It's it's worth the while. Yeah. yeah. So you do a lot of work for the city of Jackson, I would imagine, too. Yeah. You know, I, I have the past few years worked on uh, working on a transaction for the city right now a planetarium project where they're making some improvements to a planetarium that I as a kid when I was in kindergarten, I remember going to this very planetarium, the Russell C. Davis planetarium. It's been closed for a while due to damage and and other things. And we're working to kind of bring that back online. Um, Another transaction I worked on for the city was the first of its kind for the state of Mississippi, where the city was authorized to levy an additional 1% sales tax. And that sales tax, was being used to fund infrastructure projects. And for a while they were just doing those projects piecemeal, pay as you go, as the money came in, then they would pay for the project. But the mayor, whose name is Shokwe Antar Lumumba, his father was also mayor and passed away as mayor. And Uh the younger predecessor, Um, after another you know series of mayors ended up getting elected he became mayor so his father in 2014 was the mayor that held the election to pass that one percent sales tax and there were previous mayors before that that had the opportunity to do it but didn't do so and he finally put it on and then there were several mayors after that that just kind of paid as you go but it was the the older mayor that put the tax on, and it was the younger mayor who said, "I'm going to leverage it," and he leveraged it to the tune of about forty million dollars to get some stuff done immediately. And so that's been a tremendous um, shot in the arm, really, for you know just just general infrastructure, water, sewer. Now there are some challenges in the city that the state and the city are having some, some some you know, political back and forth on how to get that done. But there are some small victories here and there mm-hmm. that the city is, has been able to take advantage of. Got it. Well, the state of Mississippi,
1: I mean, like a lot of those uh, Gulf states, you got a lot of diversity there with the, uh, the topography, right? You got the Gulf you got to deal with, and then you've, right? And then you have other parts that say very different, so.
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah. So obviously you've got the Mississippi Delta, which is special. Uh, The birthplace, Memphis, Memphis will argue that they're the birthplace of the blues, but I I beg to differ. I think it was the Mississippi Delta.
1: Is that right? Okay.
0: Yeah. The topography there is, is obviously much different from other parts of the state where it might be a little bit more hilly, or you might have some bluffs. The Delta is pretty flat. Um, The Gulf coast, uh, which you've got some, some cities there, Biloxi, Gulfport, Ocean yeah. Springs, you've obviously got the Gulf of Mexico. And then of course, bordering the Delta along with um, Louisiana and Arkansas is the Mississippi River, which flows all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico at New Orleans. So we're right there in between Louisiana. In Alabama right that's a protected piece of
1: land too that the miss the uh, the Delta right I mean that's a really important piece of land. I
0: think so you know I've always argued that if you can figure out the Delta you can figure out any place in America if you can bring vitality economic development jobs, Uh, socioeconomic advancement to that particular region of our country, in our state, you can figure out the rest of the L's of this country. And so, you know, from that standpoint, you know, states like Mississippi, um, you know, Alabama, Louisiana, Deep South states, there are challenges. I, I think there are a lot more challenges in my state in terms of population decline and, and people leaving, and we're trying to figure that out. But, I also argue that the capital city, where I am, if if that if the state recognizes that for Mississippi to succeed, Jackson has to succeed. I think that solves our problems as well. But that's that's a fight for another day. Yeah. I'm um, I mean, interested to hear that. that.
1: Why are people leaving yeah. the state? What, what, what's the biggest reason why people are leaving? Wow.
0: That's. How long? How how much time do you? Just have? give me a couple. Of, I'll give you
1: a couple of minutes to give me the sound. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I think it has a lot to do with opportunity, mm. jobs. I think it has a lot to do with our culture. I uh, I tweet often, and there's a tweet thread that I just kind of went on. Sort I'm of. Gonna a, to, I'm gonna have to follow you. What's what's your handle there? It's it's Trey T R A Y Hairston. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you, okay. But, uh, a, a good friend of mine who used to work in Mississippi, uh, he was an editor for Digital Newsroom. He left to go and run another Digital Newsroom in Birmingham called Reckon South, but there was an article published and I wish, maybe I'll have to find it, but the, the article just, it, it was a glaring snapshot of the South and how much how much mobility and how much growth is taking place in in the South, in terms of people moving, economic development, Huntsville, Nashville, Atlanta, but it's not happening in my state. And you've got to personally, this is just my personal opinion. I think you've got to take a snapshot of that and pinpoint that it has to do with certainly some of our politics, I, I personally think it has a great deal to do with race. Um, and again, just, you know, the haves and have nots. There's a hard status quo of let's leave things the way they are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I could probably provide you with a lot more analysis on that. But yeah, yeah. The, the bright uh, overarching themes of of why I think folks are leaving—it's a mentality. It's, yeah, it- but with
1: guys like you, it's going to change because you know what? Eventually, um, the money sort of flows to the areas where it's less expensive, where maybe it's been left behind, and it shifts. So, I'm willing to bet that it's going to change to the upside.
0: That's my prayer. That's yeah, a- no, I, I do, I, I do believe that.
1: I mean, it always happens.
0: Yeah,
1: it's the same thing in real estate development. You know, the money eventually finds where it's it's more uh viable right where it gets too expensive or the population you know the population is there's an opportunity there same thing will happen i mean same thing's happening in other parts of the south so i'm i'm sure that will happen it just you know it the things the pendulum always shifts
0: yeah we we right. i agree and and when that does happen i hope we're we're we open our arms and we're welcoming to all of that investment and all of the different philosophies, political stances, yeah, acumen, yeah, yeah. you know, whether it's diversity, race, et cetera. Oh, yes, of course. I hope we say come and, and we have our arms open and, and that, that my friend is, is, is the challenge. I'm with you. I hope so too. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I, isn't Jackson is known for being a
1: pretty creative place, right? There's a lot of creativity that comes out of Jackson.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A great. You know, my, like I said, I grew up going to Jackson State football games. Um, you would find me and my dad on any given Saturday night in the fall at Veterans Memorial Stadium, listening to the sonic boom of the South. Um, you know, enjoying Jackson State versus Grambling or Southern or Valley or Alcorn. Yeah, and with that, you know the the vibrancy of the city, the music, the food, the culture. There's some absolutely wonderful things going on in the city, uh, just like there is the entire state um, with with music. Uh, one of the projects that I financed was called the the mississippi arts and entertainment center and okay. it's located in meridian mississippi really cool project bond council disclosure council had some some sexy tax issue issues if, if tax issues can be sexy they were sexy but uh at the heart of it is a real celebration of some of our most famous artists musicians actors Morgan freeman Oprah Winfrey, James Earl Jones, uh, Robert Johnson, who famous blues musician, who again, in my opinion, the the birth of the blues was here in Mississippi. He's the one that uh, allegedly sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. So all of those things are explored and and put on exhibition in this amazing 50,000 square foot museum that has video, virtual reality, just great, great, interactive exhibits that every Mississippian should see but you know I would argue that anybody interested in the arts and just any all things Hollywood should want to see in addition to that I worked in when I was as a younger lawyer I worked in the governor's office I was one of um, Governor Bryant's lawyers and policy advisor economic development policy advisor and one of the projects was the Grammy Museum that set the celebration of music so a lot of great things like that um are happening in in our state and in addition to jackson which i guess it was about five years ago maybe six years ago now when we opened the two museums Uh, one happened to be a museum on just mississippi history Mm. the second was the civil rights museum which my law firm um, spent a tremendous amount of money just investing and sponsoring so a lot of cool things from our culture, from our our somewhat problematic problematic past, can all be be witnessed at various places yeah. in the state. Interesting.
1: How, tell me how you became a lawyer. How would you make that decision?
0: Wow. Um, so I've got to backtrack a little bit. I worked in economic development. I so and when I say that, I worked for the state of Mississippi. I was a project manager. I've worked for an entity called the Mississippi Development Authority. That's our state's arm to go out and recruit business and try to get that business to locate in Mississippi. And so there's also other branches that works with existing industry. But I was in the the global recruitment. I traveled outside the country for the first time as a young non lawyer. I saw all 82 counties. I worked on really cool, sexy projects, but it was A project that I worked on after Nissan decided to locate Mississippi. Right up the road from my law firm, there's a multi-billion dollar Nissan automotive plant. Oh, no kidding. And when 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 Nissan decides to locate, there are numerous suppliers that have to supply the plant. So I was working on one of those projects. And when you hit a stumbling block in the project, the lawyers come in, right? Mm. And they always had all the right answers they always and if they didn't have the right answer they knew where to go get the answer and they worked with incentives they worked with bonds and contracts like wow that's really cool and when i would ask like what how do i get into this everybody would say you need to meet frank stemler the next person i would ask you need to meet Frank Stimlin. The next person, Frank Stimlin. It's like, all right, I've got to meet Frank Stimlin. Well, Frank was the first African-American lawyer in Mississippi to be in the Red Book. What is the Red Book? The Red Book is a directory of municipal professionals in this industry. Here's here's, uh, here's a red book. red book. There. The Bond there Buyer's Municipal Marketplace. Okay. So first black guy in this book Big deal. You have to do so many million dollars of deals to be listed in the Red Book and Harvard trained lawyer, Mississippian. But I um, I read all about Frank, but I didn't get to a chance to meet Frank. Mm. Frank died in April of 2004. So Frank Stimley, was the mentor I'd never met. And he's been the chip on my shoulder saying, wow, in an industry like this where you don't find many people that look like me, um, he was it. In my mind, he said, I said, if he did it, surely I can do it. Now, he was a sort of a solo practitioner, and I practice in a big firm. I'm the first African American partner in my firm to. Go up the ranks and serve as bond counsel and make partners. So I think that's what pushed me. It was, mm-hmm. it was everybody that said, why don't you litigate? Everybody that said it's you're not gonna make it because the other guys before you didn't make it. I think it was just pure, sheer motivation that I can do it and now I'm doing it. Like, and I can point to projects that are up and I can take the kids and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, we did this. We worked on this. I I helped put this together. I remember when it closed and the money hit and the wire and it got built and we cut the ribbon and that, that's a, that's a really cool feeling.
1: Oh yeah. That's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, wait, so you're saying that in your particular discipline, there's not a lot of black attorneys. Is that what you're saying?
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm saying uh, in in transactional practices. Yes. You will not find a lot of diverse lawyers. Granted, there's not a lot of diversity in the legal profession anyway, maybe more than than other professions, but at large law firms. Maybe a large law firm, there's a lot, I think it seems to me there's a, a lot of solo practitioners yeah. that are litigators, but large law firms, partners, you, you won't find a lot of transactional lawyers. And I could probably come back with some stats, but after, you know, going through the legal counts on legal diversity or just yeah. being on the executive committee of my law firm and looking at the sheer numbers, but well, you would know. Yeah, yeah. How many lawyers in your firm? Oh, dear. Um, close to 400.
1: Oh, it's a big firm.
0: So, yeah, we're, we're a big mid-sized firm regionally based here in the South. Um, but some outstanding national practices that we have, like the public finance practice, that's right. a national practice that has a national reach consistently ranked in the top 10, sometimes top number one in the country. Uh, for bond counsel. Our uh, pharmaceutical products liability practice represents some of the, the largest corporations in the world. And that's a national practice where we got some outstanding lawyers that are trying these cases for Johnson & Johnson, 3M, Merck, Pfizer, et cetera. So and how'd, you,
1: how'd you build that practice? Are those people from the the region or do you, are you able to recruit people?
0: So there? from a public finance standpoint, can really speak to that. Our former chairman, his name is Don Clark. He's still a lawyer at the firm. We have a new chairman now, Chris Maddox, but Don Clark was and is a bond lawyer. Okay. And Don's firm prior to Butler Snow merged with Butler Snow, wow, I think it may be in the late 90s, early 2000s and uh, he would probably not be happy if I didn't know the exact dates, but any event, um, <laughs> it was really Don's vision, I think, along with some other other key leaders in the firm that said, let's grow, let's strategically grow. And in doing that, grow in a way that, you know, grow, grow your talent, grow where you have expertise. And I think because of that, we began to explore ways to, to really go out and find the best talent as it pertains to public finance. And that was, you know, hiring some of the best lawyers in Georgia. I think it was hiring some of the best lawyers in Colorado, where we're, we kill it. Like one of my colleagues is the former chairman and president of the National Association of Bond Lawyers. Another one of my colleagues, who's a phenomenal tax lawyer, was the chair of the bond attorneys workshop, which is the the annual training for all for all bond lawyers uh, in the country. Um, one of my colleagues is just you know just an outstanding securities lawyer in this space. Another one's another outstanding tax lawyer. Some of us are great business developers that can help bring in this work in markets that. We aren't traditionally in, but where we have offices, and I, I, I would argue that has a lot to do with your flexibility, diversity, and just sheer talent. So I think that's that's one of the reasons that we were able to grow so rapidly and have these national practices. Yeah, excellent, good.
1: Well, listen, I know, I know you're getting to a hard stopper. You got to go. The the last thing I just want to ask you. Um, is do you guys use technology in the practice and what's
0: your view on technology? Sure. We're on Zoom right now, obviously. I think that during the pandemic, I serve on the firm's executive committee and I think there are eight of us um, that, that serve in that capacity and then the chairman. I remember in March of 2020 when we began to talk about this this at the time, this novel COVID-19 coronavirus and just what to do. But between March, 2020 and December 31, 2020, we probably met over 56 times as a committee on Zoom, dealing with serious, serious issues as it pertains to the firm, HR issues, um, issues involving PPP, issues involving, um, do, we, do we close, do we stay open, do we reopen, do we close again, you know, hybrid, you know, schedule three, we had all of these different levels of, we're gonna move into to phase A now, which meant hybrid of staying home, certain people could stay, our service folks that we needed to keep the firm going, just all of these things to think through. It would have crippled us, extremely crippled us as a firm, financially, culturally, because of our unique culture, without technology. Um, strictly speaking, in terms of my practice, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's always the, the virtual presentation, the, the PowerPoints, um, just the need to be able to connect and illustrate something from a property standpoint, if there's some interesting property dynamics to be able to pull up and show topography Uh, with with an iPad or something like that so yeah uh, technology it's it's certainly been our friend it's been my friend and allowed us to get through this pandemic as as seamless as possible excellent this is good stuff well
1: listen I know you got I know you got an important event to attend so I'm gonna let you get to that what um has been a really uh, interesting conversation what's the best way if somebody wants to reach you and do some business with you
0: sure Best way to reach me is by email or phone. Uh, email address is trey.hairston at butlersnow.com and Trey is spelled T-R-A-Y. Um, and Hairston is spelled H-A-I-R-S-T-O-N. And my phone number here at the office is 601-985-4630.
1: Excellent. Okay, well, listen, again, it's been my pleasure to have uh, Trey Hairston with Butler Snow here. Um, we want to thank our sponsor, Motion Track. This does not relate to your business, but a lot of law firms use us to uh, find uh, nonverbal insights using AI for mediation and, and trials. But uh, thanks again, and uh, good luck with uh, your kids' event. And it sounds oh. great. We enjoyed having you.
0: Many thanks. thanks.